We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Philippians this morning. And I want to read another passage to you that I think gives us a good understanding of background for Philippians chapter 4 that we'll be in in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul is speaking here and he's giving an understanding of where he's been, and I think it sheds tremendous light for us when we get to Philippians chapter 4 to understand what Paul is referencing. And this just gives you kind of a snapshot of some of what Paul has encountered uh, since he has trusted Christ, since he has come and placed his faith in Christ, and since he's become the primary evangelist of this day and time. If you, if you would, begin with me in chapter... 11 of the book of 2 Corinthians, verse 24. Paul speaking here says, Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressures of concern for all my churches. Now let's go to... Philippians chapter 4, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. And we have a perspective now with that background reading this text. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you did not have opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. Now, remember what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, what he's experienced, what he's gone through. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. Or your translation might say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what does that mean to you today? Well, I have a couple of folks here that have a perspective on that that I, I wanted to let them share. Because uh, let me tell you, I think this is a term that has kind of gotten hijacked uh, by professional and college athletes and, and others, uh, you know, who use this term, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes we look at it from perspective or have the idea, boy, I'm going to go do something and God's going to make me successful. And uh, when Paul is using this, he's talking about, Everything that he's been through in Christ has strengthened him, even though the journey has been tremendously difficult, even though it's been a very tough time. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been in prison. Matter of fact, he's writing, writing this letter from prison. And so Paul has a little bit different perspective. Matter of fact, uh, his understanding, and if we read, read this in uh, the message version, which is Eugene P Peterson's translation of the Bible, he basically communicates it in this manner. You can make it. You will be able to make it 
God will sustain you. He will supply you. Let's read it again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Of course, Paul is writing here to the Philippian church. He's writing here to those who have not seen him now for probably a couple of years. Uh, They've simply heard that he's been placed in prison and he's encountering much difficulty at this point. But he writes this letter of encouragement. And he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. Paul's not saying, I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. That's not what he's saying at all. He's simply stating a fact. And he continues why he can state that fact in verse 12. And I don't believe verse 11 and 12 can be separated from verse 13 and have a proper understanding of this context. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, and in every situation, whether being well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With that understanding... Let's think about a couple of things. First of all, let me give you the translation by Eugene Peterson, which is a modern rendition of the Scripture. He says this, Whatever I have, according to Philippians 4.13, Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything and the One who makes me who I am. So he's giving the perspective, the understanding that I don't have to fear the future. It doesn't mean that all my plans will succeed. It doesn't mean that I will get everything that I want. But what it does mean is that God will sustain me. That He is walking with me on the journey. So what is contentment not? That might be a better understanding of what to under, how to understand this perspective as he talks about contentment. As he talks about the secret that he listed here in verse 12, it's this, or excuse me, it's not this. It's not, first of all, being stoic. Being stoic that whatever happens, I'm all good. I'm just not going to let it shake me. I'm fine. I got it. And I'm just going to stuff everything down inside of me and just give the veneer that I'm okay, that I'm cool. That's not spiritual. That's not what Paul is suggesting. Number two, it's not necessarily and certainly really in any perspective saying, I'm just going to like everything that happens to me. I'm just going to like it and I'm just going to enjoy it. So if I got cancer, I'm just going to like it. God, thank you. I'm in this situation. Now, I may thank him for what he is going to do and how he's going to grow, grow me. And I may thank him that he is going to receive glory. But I don't have to pretend like I like where I am. I don't have to pretend like I'm enjoying my current circumstances. Number three, it's not having everything that you want. Having what I want, having all that I expected to have at this point in life, that's not a picture of contentment. And it certainly isn't even true. Interestingly enough, they did a survey 
As a matter of fact, there was one survey done in um, 1898 of what needs, uh, what needs were. And at that point, they listed seven. The average family listed seven things they thought they really needed. And then they did another one in 1950. Uh, and then it was all the way up to 27 things that the average family felt like they needed. Uh, and then they did one here just a few years ago. And, and now it's over 100 things that people feel like they need when they said, what are some of the necessities that you feel like you have to have in life? Uh, here are some of the things that people listed. 13% of Americans, when surveyed on what were their needs, 13% said uh, a VCR a DVD player is a necessity. I mean, this is, it's true. They're not even trying to be funny. 17% said basic cable is a necessity. 25% of Americans, that's one in four, said that we have to have a home computer and an answering machine. 33%, one in three, said microwave ovens are a necessity. 45% said to have air conditioning in my car. And 55% said to have home air conditioning. And that included the people who lived in Southern California and, uh, and Alaska. So as we look at this perspective, what's interesting is virtually none of these things existed 50 years ago. But now they have become basic needs of our life. And Paul says here, he said, look, I have learned, I like that word, I have learned to be content with whatever my circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I've been in need. Paul spoke earlier of how he had been hungry, he had been thirsty, he had been cold, he had been naked, and now he's in prison writing this letter. He goes on and he says, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned to be content with plenty. Some of us haven't even learned to be content with plenty. For example... 39% of all Americans who make $50,000 a year say they don't have enough money to meet their basic needs. 33% of those making $100,000 to $150,000 a year, that's one out of every three people making over $100,000 a year say, I just don't have enough to meet my needs. 27% of those making over $150,000 a year say, I don't have enough to meet my needs. Isn't it all perspective? Isn't it all our attitude as we look at things? I mean, I I perfectly understand. I'll never forget when I first graduated from college. I came back from living in the the Philippines, and uh, I began to teach school. And I don't want to brag, but I was making $15,300 a year. I know. You're probably very impressed at this point. But I was making $15,000 a year. I'll never forget getting my first paycheck, $952. Man, what am I going to do with this? And I just remember thinking, boy, this is more than I need. And fast forward throughout the rest of my life. Isn't it true as we get more, we simply spend more, find things that we've neglected to pay or that we feel like we really need? The truth of it is, is we don't have a perspective on the difference between need and luxury. And as Paul might say it, in Philippians 4:19, I'll meet all your needs according to my riches and glory, or through the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We don't understand the difference between need and greed. Some of the secrets of contentment that Paul learned here, first of all, was releasing unrealistic expectations. Paul certainly had plenty when he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was duly noted. Matter of fact, we have historical documentation that suggests to us that the The Pharisees were a very affluent group of people during their time. And with this perspective and this understanding, Paul says, I know what it's like to have plenty. 
Some of us really struggle, and that would be, quite frankly, all of us in this room, with having plenty. You may say, I don't have a lot. Well, when you think maybe monetarily, maybe not in what we're worth, but let me give you a proper understanding on a world view. One billion people in the world do not have clean access, do not have access to clean water, while the average American uses 400 to 600 liters of water a day. Every seven seconds somewhere in the world, a child under the age of five dies because, and while that, of hunger. And while that child dies, Americans throw away 14% of the food that we purchase. Nearly one billion people in the world live on less than one American dollar a day. Another 2.5 billion people in the world live on less than two American dollars a day. More than half the world lives on less than $2 a day, while the average American teenager spends nearly $100 a week. 1.65 people in the world have no electricity. 1.6 billion. Nearly 1 billion people in the world cannot read or write their name. Nearly 1 million children are denied basic education one-third of all American families have at least three cars, but most people in the world do not even own a car. One in seven children worldwide, that's 158 million, has to go to work every day just to survive. Americans spend more annually on trash bags than nearly half the world does on food. You don't think we're blessed? You don't think that we have been given plenty? The question is what we have done with our plenty, quite frankly. It's easy for us to fall into the culture that we've been given and simply think we have to buy more toys. John Rossman did a survey and he asked people who were born in the 30s and 40s, and he asked them this question. He said, do you remember being bored a lot as a child? And most of them didn't. And he asked them, how many toys did you have growing up? He said most of them would say something, toys? What are you talking about? We took a piece of cardboard and made something out of it. But he said virtually all of them would say, I had somewhere between one and ten toys from the time I was zero to twelve years of age. We know now through statistics that the average five-year-old has accumulated, has been given uh, an average of 250 toys by the time he reaches his sixth birthday. That's one toy per week. And how often do we hear this? I'm bored. I hear it in my house all the time. I'm bored. I just want to go go get a job. I know you're six. But nevertheless. <laughs> and we live, often our children experience that because they've learned it. Paul said, I've learned contentment. Let's continue here and let's read the rest of this text and see what Paul has to share with us right here. He says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Paul talks about the opportunity that people have to give. He talks about how the Philippian church has supported him financially and had given to him. Verse 15 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For when I was in need, excuse me, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Verse 17, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Now, that word right there, credit to your account, is obviously what you might be thinking, an accounting term. And he's giving the picture right here that as you have given to me, as you have supported this ministry, as you supported the churches that we've begun, it's been credited to your account. It's been credited to your spiritual account. God has taken recognition and it's being credited to your account. Do you know that's still true today for us? As we give to the church, as we give to the ministry, that it is credited to our account. God sees it. God recognizes it. God knows it. And you know, the truth of it is we don't give because God's in, God's in real trouble financially, okay? That's not really a perspective. It's, it's a discipline and it's an act of worship. As we continue here, we see that. Verse 18, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He's talking about the financial gifts. They are fragrant offerings. They are an offering. It is a replacement of the sacrificial offerings that were offered. Now, there were different types of offerings, of course, given into the Old Testament. And we know that Christ's blood has atoned for our sin offering. But then there were different types of offerings. Matter of fact, there were seven different types of offerings that were given. And really, uh, most of them required. Some of them were free will, so to speak, love offerings. But most of them were required. But now he says that they are a fragrant offering. The financial gift that you've given is an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then he says this in uh, verse 19. For my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, glorious riches, in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all of your needs. That's really pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. But it also encourages us and really necessitates us that we have another understanding of what it needs means to have our needs met. Paul here speaks of having a sharing mentality versus a materialistic mentality. You know, Monica Miller, who is one of our missionaries that we've been supporting for the last few years over in Tanzania, was in our last service. And I'll never forget, I was over there last year, I guess the summer before last, and uh, we were talking with a couple of them that were, were living there uh, in this village, and they said, you know, tomorrow is the big day for the kids around here. It's a really exciting day. I said, really, what is it? He said, well, it's trash day. We throw all our trash away, and they come dig through it. I go, really? He said, yeah. It's just amazing. Things that you would never even think of. And so I, I remember walking over there because they had just a big hole out in their back dirt yard, and, um, and it was probably three, three foot deep. And I looked down there, and I'm telling you, there was, I, I was, it wasn't like where they were clearing out their garage. It was like they were throwing trash away. I, I'm talking like... Um, burnt food, dirty you know food that just you couldn't eat, and then just pieces of paper and scraps. I mean that's literally what it was. 
And the kids would get in there and they would take those little pieces of paper, they would take the inside of a toilet paper roll, and they would make something out of it. And they were so excited, they were literally waiting for them to take their trash out. And yet, I, I, I saw the smiles on their face, and I was thinking, isn't that a classic example of having a different understanding, a different perspective? A different perspective entirely. One that is difficult for us to even begin to understand or to recognize. So they have different expectations. What about our expectations of God today? What about our expectations of life today? I mean, here's a classic example for us understanding how our expectations sometimes ruin our contentment. Take, for example, the University of North Texas and their athletic program. If I told you they're going to win six games this year, you'd be so excited. If you're a North Texas fan, you go, six games, that's incredible. I mean, we're on our way, man. We're like going to be a real Division I athletic program if we can win six games. We're, we're headed the right direction. But if you're a University of Texas fan and I go, you're going to win six games this year, you're going, we're going to do something about that, Mac Brown. I, our, our program is tanking. I mean, we're just about to lose it here. And it all is your perspective, isn't it, on what you think you deserve, what you think you've earned, perspective, releasing unrealistic expectations that we should be given nice things, that we should be provided with luxuries. Having a grateful heart, as Paul speaks about here, having a grateful heart, I'm not going to know contentment until I can learn to have a grateful heart and be thankful for what God has already given me and being willing to share and to give of what God has given me. Let's do a little illustration here. I'm sure this will brighten your day. If you would, for just a moment, I want to invite you to take out your wallet or your purse, whatever you may have. Would you, for just a moment, just take it out and I want you to just look at it. A very simple exercise. I know some of you are not excited at this moment at all. But if you would just take it out and look at it. And, you know, we say that, we say, hear sermons sometimes about what's your idol and materialism, blah, blah, blah. I'm not really materialistic. But I want you to just look at it for just a moment. And here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to ask you for just one second. I want you to hand that to the person on the right. I can feel the tension level going up right now. Could you be any more uncomfortable than you are at this moment right now? Now, now that we've done this, you know, we all want to be givers. I want to invite you to give like you've always wanted to give right now. Now, all right, give it back before the people on you, before they just completely lose it. But did you notice that feeling you had when you handed that over? You notice how uptight you got and just how much... Um, that makes me nervous, man. I... I trust God. No, no, I'm not. Money's not a big deal to me, but give that back to me. I mean, that's, that's what we're thinking. That's what we're feeling at that moment, aren't we? Well, here's some other materialistic indications. If that's something I'm struggling with, here are some things to consider. Here's some other good indicators. Number one, do I buy on impulse? Or do I carefully... And no, no testimonies, please. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Sure. Or do I think about it and pray about it before I make significant purchases? 
Number two, do I give of my first fruits or if there just happens to be something left over? Number three, do I need to buy something to be happy? Number four, does what I have and what I possess, does it make it easier to serve the Lord or harder? And lastly, what impact does it have upon me if there's something that I purchased, something that I bought and I lend it to them and I don't get it back the way that I want it? Does it just seethe in me? Does it so get a hold of me? Those may be indicators that we're taking things and materials too significantly. You know, there are many who could stand up and give testimony of what it means to live in tough times. Some of you could stand up and give testimony of it right now. And most all of us could give a testimony of when things are good or they are good or they have been good. The question is not whether you will have enough. You will. The question is, what are we doing with what we have? How are we managing it? Are we being stewards with what we've been given? What are we making of what God has given us? Because the real truth of it is we don't know contentment until we do these four things. Number one, until we learn to walk in faith. The providence of God's Word that He will be faithful, that He will meet our needs. Yes, again, that may not mean that we get what we want or that we like what we, everything we have. It's not what that means. Again, remember the perspective of Paul. Remember the perspective of the folks who spoke today. That God will sustain you. That God will meet your basic needs. What you really need for life will be given to you. Number two, that we learn to have a grateful heart. That we learn to be grateful and thankful. And we recognize that I am... I am a family. I am an individual who doesn't worry about clean water, who doesn't worry about food, who doesn't worry about where am I going to sleep if I have enough to wear or that my children are going to die because they've been malnourished. I can look at God and say, thank you, God, that you have blessed me. But the problems I'm worrying about is, are they going to cut my cable off? Am I going to lose my cell phone? Those are what our real problems are in life when it comes to materialism. Number three, not only have I learned to be grateful, but I've learned to be giving. I've learned to be a steward and to share of what God has given to me materially, socially, service-wise. And number four, simply this, I've learned to be faithful. I've learned to be grateful. I've learned to be sharing. But I've also learned this, the spirit of humility I believe we won't know the spirit of humility of Christ until we learn to be thankful and grateful and faithful. A person who possesses those characteristics, as we see listed here in Philippians chapter 4 as we read through the context, is a person who learns contentment. When we learn, see, contentment, as Paul said, is learned as we are faithful and trusting, as we are grateful, as we are giving as we humbly recognize, God, it is all a gift from You. That's where contentment comes from. Recognizing where our real status in life is and how God has really blessed us and the ability He's given us to bless 
others. I want to conclude with this little writing, and uh, this is also in the back. If you want to pick it up, uh, you're welcome to. It's called God's Alphabet. Although things are not perfect because of trial or pain, continue in thanksgiving. Do not begin to blame. Even when times are hard, fierce winds are bound to blow. God is forever able. Hold on to what you know. Imagine life without His love. Joy would cease to be. Keep thanking Him for all the things love imparts to thee. Move out of camp complaining. No weapon that is known on earth can yield the power praise can do alone. Quit looking at the future. Redeem the time at hand. Start every day with worship. To think is a command. Until we see Him coming victorious in the sky, we'll run the race with gratitude, exalting God Most High. Yes, there'll be good times, and yes, some will be bad. Zion waits in glory where none are ever sad. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have blessed us so immensely. But God, we recognize that because of the amount of blessing that we have received, that most of us are not very good when you choose to remove some of those. Most of us struggle tremendously when we can't sustain the lifestyle that we feel like we've achieved and deserved. God, I pray that you work in and through our hearts to help us to recognize that Lord, You desire for us to know contentment. Not that we like everything or that we enjoy it, but we recognize, God, it is enough. What has come from Your hand is enough to sustain me. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that You have supplied all my needs according to Your riches and glory. And Lord, let us be able to say that, pray that, and live that so that You might be glorified. We thank You for this time. In Your name I pray. Amen.